Well, I want you to picture a, a retired Christian couple. It's always been their dream to leave the city, move out to a little cabin on the outskirts of Yosemite. They finally saved up enough money. The kids are gone, and so off they go. Before they move, they visited a bunch of websites of local churches in their new home, and they've gathered us plenty of decent churches in the area. They figured they'd find a good church pretty soon thereafter. But upon arrival, things were not as they seemed. And literally every single church in that new little town had serious issues and errors and problems. They eventually gave up on trying to find a church. Instead, they just listened to some sermons online, but are otherwise totally cut off from the local church. Or picture a brand new believer. She's a true believer, but she knows very little about the faith, just the basics. She knows enough to start going to church, and there's a nice little church not far from her apartment. So close, so convenient, so she goes there. And she finds a nice little church home there. But being so spiritually young and undiscerning, she never realized she was joining a a weak church. There's no Bible teaching. Her faith was never challenged, and so she never grew. And for the next 10 years, she remained stagnant in a perpetual state of spiritual malnourishment and immaturity without even knowing better. I bet these scenarios sound familiar to you. I bet you know some people who might fit these descriptions. Indeed, there are many Christians who struggle with finding a good church. These scenarios stress the importance, yet also the challenge of finding a good local church. It might sound like a simple task, but these are muddied waters and Christians don't always know how to see clearly. How do you find a good church? What is a good church? What should you look for? This is a question I get asked often, the last being just a few weeks ago for our Q&A sermons. Every so often I do some Q&A sermons here at the church, and we just finished going through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse, and pretty soon we'll be jumping into another book of the Bible to study. But the little time in between, we can address a few other things, and one thing I like to do are these Q&A sermons where I give you the chance to ask whatever Bible questions you want, and I'll answer them from the pulpit because it's profitable, and chances are someone else has the same question. So that's what we've been doing the past two weeks. And that being said, every time I do these Q&A sermons, there's always one or two questions that represent not just an important issue, but also a frequent issue, something that I find comes up often. And knowing where the church is at, sometimes I'll take one of these pertinent questions and turn it into its very own sermon. And so that's what we have going on today. A few weeks ago, someone snuck in a last-minute question Asking, what is a good church? What should Christians look for in a good church? This represents both an important question and a question I get all the time. People ask on behalf of their friends or relatives living elsewhere, what do I tell them? How do they find a church? What should they be looking for? And you seem to know the basics, but looking for some just more helpful guidance, maybe a good resource to find a local church in their area. And maybe you've been in this situation yourself. If you've moved to a new area, you're immediately confronted with the very important task of finding a, a good church. So how do, you, how do you do that? How do you go about doing that? What is a, a good local church? What does that look like? Can you answer these questions? And can you back up your answer with Scripture? Not just personal preference, but what does the Bible suggest and say about what to look for in a good local church? Well, today we're going to devote all of our time to figuring that out. We want to discover what makes for a faithful church, not according to man, but according to God and his word. I want this study really to serve as, as a helpful resource for you and, and even your friends looking for a church, give them guidance in their area on, on the fundamentals, what to look for in a church. 
There are so many options out there today. We know a church on every corner and many communities. So how, how do you choose among them? How do you find a, a good church? Well, let's find out. And to do this, we're going to start with, number one, the biblical definition of the church. Got to start there, the biblical definition of the church. I'll be brief, but you have to first define what you're looking for. What is the church? I trust you all know the church is not a building. It's not even, it really doesn't have anything to do with the building in the New Testament. The word for church in the Greek, ekklesia, literally means the called out ones. And so the word church refers to any gathering or group or assembly of people called out for a purpose. In the New Testament, the word for church came, on to, ha- came to have a technical meaning for those gather or the gathering of Christ's followers. It's the assembly of, of Christians. And this is still really the basic meaning of the church. The church is simply the collection of all true believers in Christ Jesus. It's simply a gathering of people, all people who come together and bow the knee to Christ as Lord and Savior. And together, this assembly, this group, forms what's called the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, God gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So globally speaking, there's one church, the Church Universal, comprised of all believers in all ages, all lands. But of course, the whole globe can't meet together. So typically, when, when the New Testament talks about the church, or we talk about the church, we're referring to a local church, which is simply a, a local gathering of such believers, a local assembly of believers in Christ. Where such an assembly meets is really totally irrelevant to the New Testament. It doesn't matter where they meet. What really matters is that they meet, that they assemble together. Then the next question we need to ask is, why is it such a big deal for Christians to assemble together? Why does God care so much that his people meet every so often, that they come together as one? What's what's the big deal? Why did God cram all of his followers together into one little body, even though they're often quite different, and make them meet together? Why, why does he do that? In other words, what is the purpose of the church? Which is to say, what's the reason for this gathering? Well, secondly, let's talk about, number two, the biblical purpose of the church. Biblical definition, very simple. The biblical purpose of the church needs a little more attention. I get the impression that when people set out to look for a church, they never stop and think and reflect, you know, what is the purpose of the church and of a, of a local church? Don't you think, though, that that's kind of important, right? I mean, that's very important. If a local church has abandoned its purpose for existing, is it still even a church? And why would you want to go there? Now, real quick, in your own mind, answer the question, what is the purpose of the church? And as you're thinking, I want to give you first the number one wrong answer that a lot of people give today, namely community. I'm sorry if I'm bursting bubbles here, but community is not the purpose of the church. It might confuse you because community is like the latest buzzword that's in every church these days. It's what churches are about. Let me explain. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying community is bad. Community is great. You need community, and I believe church should be your community. But don't confuse that with the purpose of the church. This year at Olivia's school, our daughter, they're making a big push where they want the, the school to be your community. Big, the buzzword this year is community. 
And they want all the parents to make the school their community, spending lots of time there, hanging out together, living life together. And that's all great. Nothing wrong with that at all. But if that's all your church is, what makes you a church? What makes you different from that school? What makes you different from a gym? What makes you different from a club? You say, you know, we sing songs and listen to sermons. Okay, well, you do some different things. But if your primary purpose for gathering is just community, it's the same thing as all these other groups, well, then what makes you distinct? What, what's important? That the church loses its uniqueness. Another problem with making community the church's purpose is that it quickly becomes man-centered. Church becomes about meeting your needs, and if you don't like this community, you're going to go find a new one. That's how a lot of people treat church these days, right? And it leads a lot of churches to cater to the whims of the crowd. But the church, it's supposed to be the one gathering of people that is set apart because it's not man-centered, but entirely God-centered. That's, that's like the DNA of the church. That's the whole point. Again, don't get me wrong. Community is actually very important. But the point I'm making is it's the means to another end. It is not the end of the church. What is the end? What is that the purpose for the church to exist? It is simply God and his glory. God has redeemed and he's called out this assembly for the praise of his own name. The primary purpose of the church is to glorify God. That, After all, that's the purpose for which God created the world, for the glory of his name. It's the purpose for which he created us, humans, the, the glory of his name. Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7, God says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. God created us for his glory. He redeemed us for his glory. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6 says, In love, he, God, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Why? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Who created the church? God did. It's his. It is Christ's bride. So who defines the purpose of that assembly, that church? Well, God does. And what is he revealed to be the purpose of that group of people? It is to praise his name, to revel in the glory of his grace. If you don't like that, if you don't get that, you just need to spend more time considering that the majesty and the splendor of God, especially as revealed in his creation and his redemption, and you will realize he alone is worthy of this highest praise, then you need to come to terms with the fact that this is why God created the church and local expressions of the church. It is to continue that the praise of his name. Ephesians 3.21 says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Sounds pretty vast of a purpose statement to me. And we don't have time to develop this further, but hopefully this much is clear. What's a local church? It's simply a gathering of, of Christ followers in an area. Why do they gather? Primarily to exalt God. Like we sung this morning. This must be their primary business. Already, that alone sets the church apart entirely from every other community or group, right? But if you have a local church that's not really about the business of exalting God, 
are they still a church? Now, before we move on, let me briefly mention two other purposes of the church, which complement the main mission of exalting God. The church also has a very important inward purpose and outward purpose, a purpose in relation to itself and a purpose in relation to the world. So first, what is the church's internal purpose? It is to grow up into Christ. God redeemed us so that we might glorify him by being conformed into the image of his son. Ephesians 4 says God gave leaders to the church. Why? 4.12 says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He's saying we are now God's spiritual children, and he wants us to grow up into the image of Christ. And so he says after that, verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We're the body, he's the head. The purpose of this meeting, one of them internally, is to grow up into Christ's image. This is the internal purpose of the church, to promote Christ-likeness. A word for this would be edification. The word means to, to build up. And so God wants us to gather together, not just to be entertained, but to actively serve and love and edify one another into the image of Christ. For in this, God is magnified. God is glorified. In addition to this internal purpose, the church also has a very important external purpose, a purpose in relation to the world, and that is to be ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, he says, We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And that's our mission in relation to those in the world who do not know the Lord. We are to reflect God and the gospel to the world. We're to be a showcase of God's love and mercy, compelling others to know this God. And we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost. The church has a commission. It's called the Great Commission. And it's to make disciples of all the nations. So why do we gather? What's the purpose of the church, of every local church? Well, we commonly summarize it here with the three E's. You've been in our membership class. You should know them. To exalt God, to edify believers, to evangelize the lost. The church's purpose is its upward purpose, inward purpose, and outward purpose. Now, I know this is not a complicated discussion, but it is an essential discussion. Because if you're looking for a church, you have to start with getting the purpose right. We all know there's no perfect church. But just try and find a faithful church. Forget all these other buzzwords these days. You don't need a relevant, genuine, strategic, missional, deliberate church. Just look for a faithful church. That's enough. And that's everything, by the way. A faithful church. Faithful to the purpose for which God created it. Wouldn't you agree that if a local church has abandoned God's intended purpose for it, it is an unfaithful church, and you'd largely be wasting your time there. 
And indeed, this is how many local churches have become, nothing more than social clubs today. But at the core, you're looking for a church that understands and seeks to fulfill the purpose that God made and redeemed it. They're gathering for the right reasons. This is the foundation of any local church. Okay, so now you have a, a simple definition of the church, a better handle on the purpose of the church. We're still not quite done, though, because how is this purpose fleshed out? In other words, what does it look like for a church to be fulfilling that purpose? What should that church be saying and doing and so forth? This is where the rubber meets the road. And so number three, the biblical characteristics of the church. Let's talk now about, thirdly, the biblical characteristics of the church. So you want to find a, a good, faithful church. What should that church look like? What should it be doing so as to reflect its God-given purpose? Here I want to give you some of the essential characteristics of the church. And I, I mean essential, like the foundational level. It's, it's nice to have a church with a brand new building and great sound system. But if you're, if you're looking for a new church, you have to start with those non-negotiables, the bottom layer. And so I want to give you five foundational characteristics of a faithful church. I'm sure we could add more, but these, Scripture makes clear these are at least five very foundational characteristics of a, found, a faithful church. Number one, a high view of God's word. A high view of God's word. I spent a little extra time on this first one because this is the bottom layer. The Bible, it, it's... God gave it to us as the instruction manual for the Christian life and the church. We would be lost without it. Now, some might say, I mean, give all this Bible talk a rest. The Christian life is not lived in a book. You've got to get out there. And look, in a sense, that's true. But where do we even learn how to exalt God and identify believers and evangelize the lost? In the Word. Where do we get our understanding, a true and deeper understanding of God and the gospel, which we are to reflect to the world? In the word. How does God save people? Through the word. Romans 10:17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And how does God sanctify people? Through the word. Jesus himself prayed, John 17:17, 17, 17, to the Father. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So you have to realize God gave the church the Bible to guide them in all things pertaining to life and godliness and to totally equip them for everything he called them to do. So look, if a church has a high view of God's word, everything else should follow. If they take seriously the, the inspiration, inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency of scripture, they'll have that foundation and then to, to build on. They'll have everything they need to be faithful. And granted, we know no church is perfect. But again, we're talking that foundational level. If a church has a low view of the word, it's not going to stay faithful for very long. It's like a house built on sand. It's just a matter of time before it erodes away and that house falls in God's eyes. So high view of the word is essential. How do you really tell, though, show up at a new church? How do you really tell if they have a higher low view of the word? Well, most often, just look in their pulpit. How a church teaches and preaches the word will tell you pretty much everything you need to know. And a lot of churches these days confusing their primary purpose with community 
It's no wonder that biblical preaching has fallen on hard times. But the preaching of God's word is to be a central characteristic of a faithful church. And if you don't believe me, if you think that's just like a church culture preference thing, you just need to read 1st, 2nd Timothy again. Those books are so important because in them, Paul is laying it out before Timothy, this is what local church ministry should be like. He just lays it out in those books especially, and Titus as well. And so he says, for example, 1 Timothy 4.13, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. He tells him in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And then, of course, famously, 2 Timothy 3.16, where he says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I mean, talk about your high view of scripture. That's as high as it gets. He talks about the absolute sufficiency of scripture in that passage. It's everything we need to be fully equipped for everything God calls us to do. That's what he just said. And so it sounds pretty important to me. And in light of that, what does he say right after that? In chapter 4, verse 1, 2 Timothy. He says next, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by the appearance of his kingdom, preach the word. Talk about a serious commission, right? Preach the word, he says, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside toward myths. And we've seen that happen. And do you see what's at stake here in that passage? It is faithfulness to God and his truth. And for this, any local church must make central God's word. And so if you want to get real practical, if you're looking for a faithful church, near the top of your list should be just solid, faithful, biblical, expository preaching. Preaching of the word, which reflects the highest view of the word. Look for a church that takes seriously this commission to preach the word before Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. Look for preaching that does not merely reflect the mind of the preacher, but the mind of Christ, meaning it's coming from Scripture. And beware of ear-tickling sermons that are full of amusing stories and entertaining anecdotes, but they lack any substance. Preaching the word in season and out of season does not mean showing a bunch of clips from popular movies, peppering in a few Bible verses to make some points. And there is a local church that does that. If God, through his spirit, sanctifies us through his word, you need to find a church that will feed you the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And that's just 1 Peter 2, too. Now, I know I spent some extra time on this first point, but again, this is the bottom level. It is through the Bible that we even know God personally and have everything pertaining to life and godliness. So if you're looking for a church, the high view of scripture has to be a non-negotiable in your consideration. Now let's keep moving at a quicker pace here. Number two, 
Gospel-centeredness. Gospel-centeredness. I mean, this should be a no-brainer, but any local church has to get the gospel right. It's the good news of Christ's atoning death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. It's what makes us the church. And that should color every aspect of the church. Because after all, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, Romans 1, and sanctification, Galatians 5. So it has to be central to all ministry. This is our identity. We are people called out. What makes us called out? The gospel. We've been set apart from all creation, from all other assemblies and communities by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we are called to reflect to the world. So there has to be a gospel-centeredness to the church. So look, obviously any church which which subscribes to another gospel, that's not even a church, Galatians 1 says, but you don't just want gospel correctness. You also want gospel-centeredness. You need a church which truly understands and ministers the transforming power of the gospel. Because it it is through the gospel of Jesus that God powerfully changes lives. Sadly, I don't know how many people I've talked to where they come from a church, they've been going to church their whole lives, and they, they say, you know, I don't really think I've ever heard the gospel very much. They don't know it very well. They have very little knowledge of its transforming power. And it's no wonder they're spiritually struggling. Yet the gospel is practically missing in many local churches. I mean, yeah, on their website, they'll give a shout out to the gospel, and that's good, but I'm talking in real ministry. Is there a gospel-centeredness to it? Do they actually use and minister the gospel in all that they do? Because we are supposed to be ministers of the gospel. For an example here, look at their discipleship and counseling ministries. Are they helping people change and overcome sin and grow by bringing the transforming power of the gospel to bear on their lives? Or is it more, you know, like self-help, motivational speaking, 12-step programs devoid of, of the gospel? What do they do? I once heard a pastor say that when he gets someone who's struggling with depression, he just sends them right off to a psychologist because he's not equipped to help someone like that. And understand that guy wasn't, he wasn't very biblically trained, but just, just think about the problem with that. Here's a person with a serious spiritual problem, and you're saying the world can help them more than the church and than the gospel. If... If Christ is real and you really believe that the gospel has God's power to save, to change, to transform people, then you need to find a church that takes that seriously, that believes in it, and is at least trying to make it central in everything it says and does. Related to that, number three, a third foundational characteristic, relatedly, sound doctrine. Number three, sound doctrine. And people are scared by doctrine. What what is doctrine? It just means what the Bible says about a given topic. That's all it means. It's like everything the Bible says about the Trinity is the doctrine of the Trinity. But look, to God, what the Bible says about any given subject is very important. That's because to God, the truth really matters. He takes his word very seriously. He doesn't like people messing with it. The truth matters. And the Bible tells us we're in a truth war, are we not? Where the enemy Satan, he's the father of lies. I know our postmodern culture doesn't really care about the truth anymore, which is part of the problem in a lot of churches, but God's word, excuse me, is crystal clear about the absolute necessity 
of sound doctrine in the church. Again, going back to 1st 2nd Timothy, he says in 1st Timothy 3.15, he speaks of the church, the church of the living God, which is the pillar and support of the truth. Just think about that. That's a that's huge statement, that the church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. 2nd Timothy 1.13, he tells him to retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me. Titus 1.9, the elder must be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And then, of course, Jude 3 tells us to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints, that is, the church. So you need to find a church where truth matters, where doctrine matters. We are not trying to be all stuffy and arrogant in a high castle here. But God doesn't want his church to be led astray. We're not suggesting, hey, we might as well preach out of a systematic theology. But God wants his church to adhere to sound doctrine. And just the problem is that some churches, they today outright avoid sound doctrine. Reflecting our culture, they don't really care about truth or doctrine all that much. It's not popular. They like to keep things light, shallow, entertaining, general, certainly not controversial. Either because their pastors themselves haven't studied the Bible much or because they don't want to ruffle any feathers, lest someone leave. But this is a a sure sign of a soon-to-be unfaithful church. So in this regard, if you're looking for a church, spend time actually reading their doctrinal statement. Do they even have one? And I'm not talking about the generic statement of faith on the website, which is just like the plain basics. That's good. But go talk to their pastor, get that detailed doctrinal statement, read it over. Do they, do they even value sound doctrine? That's what you're looking for. Now, when it comes to doctrine, I understand that some believers disagree on some issues that are not central to the gospel, like spiritual gifts, end times, free will, so forth. Here, I'll just tell you that if you have already become absolutely convinced on such issues from scripture yourself, well then obviously you probably want to find a like-minded church because you're going to be able to serve so much better in that place. If you haven't made up your mind on such issues, well just go back to characteristic number one and find a church with a high view of the word. Because at the very least, at least they'll give you biblical teaching. At least they will try and use the Bible to make their point and to teach you from the word instead of just making stuff up or just ignoring these issues altogether. At least find a church that takes the truth seriously because God does and he wants his church to be pure. And speaking of that, brings us to number four, an intolerance for sin. An intolerance for sin. If you read the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, you, you gather there were some churches that he praised like the church of Philippi, church of Thessalonica. Why did he praise them? Not because they were perfect, but they did refuse to tolerate error and sin. There were other churches, though, that he rebuked more often than not. So why did Paul let him have it, like the churches of Galatia, the church of Corinth? Why did he often rebuke them? Because they did tolerate error and sin. It was always these two issues that marked off the faithful and less faithful churches. 
And you know what? Christ used the same standard. You read Revelation 2 and 3. He's evaluating these seven churches. And why does Jesus himself rebuke some of these churches? However you view the churches, the, the point remains the same. Why does he rebuke some of them? Because they tolerated false teaching, which led them to therefore tolerate sin in their midst. Error and sin. It doesn't fly with the Lord and his church. Remember, he created and redeemed the church so that it would be holy and blameless. And we know, what is the church? It's just a bunch of redeemed sinners. So the church is still fallen and not perfect in that regard. There's not going to be a perfectly holy church. But when a church tolerates false teaching and sin for very long, not only do they risk being unfaithful, they risk being judged. And so Christ in that passage said he, he threatened to remove their lampstand, which is to judge those local churches. This is pretty serious stuff. And the church should be serious. I'm not saying the local church should be like a funeral home. There should be joy and excitement in the local church, but it should also be serious, especially when it comes to sin. You don't want a church with a legalistic spirit that makes up a bunch of new rules, not in scripture, and is self-righteous. No. But you do want a church that takes sin seriously as defined by God in his word. You want a church that ministers grace to sinners because we all fall short and seeks to renew them and restore them. But yet you also want a church that will remove those who deny the Lord and refuse to repent. So this being the case, if you're looking for a church, I'll give you another very simple litmus test. Do they practice church discipline? Do they practice church discipline? It's stunning how many churches have just totally abandoned and given up on this completely biblical practice given by the Lord himself in Matthew 18 and other places, 1 Corinthians 5, Titus 3. I understand it's like the least fun, least popular thing you could do in church, but a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Scripture is simply too clear that the church cannot tolerate ongoing, unrepentant sin in its midst. If it does, it will spread. And, and how long until that church's lampstand is removed in God's eyes? Christ wants his bride to wear white. And so you should find a church that at least takes sin seriously. You're not going to find a perfectly holy church, but a church that takes sin seriously and seeks to grow. They need to minister grace and humility because we all fall short. Yet, if they must, they will remove the wicked man from their midst. You can see how a lot of these characteristics of a faithful church fall on its leaders. So naturally, number five, a fifth foundational characteristic of local church, godly and qualified leaders. Godly and qualified leaders. Remember earlier we said one of the purposes of the church is to edify believers. As we read in Ephesians 4, God is glorified when the church is built up into the image of Christ. Now how do we do that? How do we get there? Well, in that same passage, just before in verse 11, it says how God gave leaders to the church toward that end to ensure the church would fulfill its purpose. If you've got a group of sheep, unless you want them to wander aimlessly, they need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to lead and feed and protect them. And we're all sheep. Christ is our great shepherd, but he has seen fit to appoint under shepherds to help ensure the church fulfills its purpose. 
And so the goal of the church becomes the goal of the life of these men who seek to be under shepherds of the church. This was Paul's goal. For example, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Isn't that the purpose? And so he says, for this purpose, I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. This is the pastor's calling, and God has purpose to use such men to ensure that his church fulfills its calling. And if this is true, don't you think it's a pretty big deal that a local church should have godly and qualified leaders? Yeah, that, that, that's a pretty big deal. Nothing can sink a church so quickly as ungodly leaders. Nothing can take a church so far astray as ungodly leaders. Pastors and elders have been given some of Christ's delegated authority over the church. That's a huge responsibility. But sadly, there are all too many wanting to use that authority for their own personal gain, even at the cost of the flock. So watch out. God has not left you without instruction, though. It is incumbent upon you, the church, to find leaders who meet certain qualifications that God has given to you in the word. And what do you know? Where do we find them? First Timothy, Titus. Well, I'll read you First Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, for example. He says, an overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. The list goes on, but, but notice what qualifies an elder, pastor, overseer. It's not business success, life accomplishments, community standing. It's just one thing, godly character. Godly character. So if you're looking for a church, it's not wrong to evaluate the leaders. In fact, you better. Don't look for just a one-man show, but a plurality of godly and qualified men. Take them out to lunch. Get to know them. See if they're really about God's business or not. Are they free from the love of money or not? Are they hospitable? Are they self-willed? Do they hold fast the word? Do they even know the word? God has actually commanded the church to respect and submit to its leaders, Hebrews 13 says. That's a ton of power and authority, which can be used for great evil or great good. And none of us are strangers to the many abuses perpetrated by wolves and sheep's clothing over the church's history. So this has to make your list when you're looking for a faithful church to join, because a church will only ever be as faithful as its leaders. So these are five of the most foundational characteristics of a local church that's being faithful to the purpose for which God created it. It must possess a high view of the word, gospel-centeredness, sound doctrine, an intolerance for sin, and godly and qualified leaders. Now you listen to that list, you're probably thinking, yeah, okay, that's good, but it sounds incomplete. We can add things, right? Of course, there's, there's a long list of other things churches can and should be doing. We could add a strong list of secondary characteristics of a faithful church, things like prayer, discipleship, missions, outreach, fellowship, hospitality, love, unity, trusting God, serving others, the ordinances, musical worship. These are all good, essential functions of the church. 
And uh, you'll find them in most churches, of course. And I'm not trying to downplay these secondary characteristics. But when you're looking for a new church, you have to start with the foundation. And that's why I've chosen to emphasize these five foundational characteristics, as I think Scripture does itself. Because remember, there's no perfect church. The church is merely the gathering of the redeemed, and we're still sinners. So the church is going to be full of sinners. And so they're going to have gaps. We understand that. You can have a local church that's very faithful, but they have a gap in hospitality or fellowship or giving or evangelism or whatever. Such gaps, though, they're not deal breakers, but more so opportunities for you now to come in and serve and do your part to help edify that church, to help it grow. You fill the gap. So yes, these secondary characteristics, they are actually super important, but they more often represent chances for you to help a local church grow into the image of Christ. To the contrary, though, the five foundational characteristics I gave you, and we could probably add a couple more, they're usually take it or leave it, meaning you will practically have little influence on these things. If you show up at an established local church, Either they've got godly and qualified leaders already, or they don't, and there's not much you can do to change that. Either they already have a high view of the word, or they don't. And you will have practically very little influence on that. It's a take-it-or-leave-it situation. So these foundational issues, they really, they're so important, they have to be in place when you show up at a local church. They have to be first and foremost when considering a new church family. It's kind of like buying a house. You may look at a new house. You fall in love with the curb appeal. It's got a finished kitchen already. It's really nice. But what if it's built on raised foundation? The four by fours are already rotting through with termite damage. That house would be a terrible investment, and it, it's going to fall any moment. Yet so many Christians, they're allured simply by the curb appeal of a local church. Brand new building. It's got nice water features, video production, state-of-the-art sound, streamlined children's ministry, concert-level music experience. None of those things matter, according to the New Testament. If a church has a weak foundation, sure, you might find a great community of friends there, sure, but you won't be fulfilling the God-defined purpose of the church, and what's the point? Why not just join a gym? So forget all these consumer-driven personal preferences and just go with God's preferences. Look for a church that knows its God-defined purpose and that has a solid foundation. And you find a faithful church and you help them grow from there. Now speaking of, I said earlier that the primary purpose of the church is to glorify God. If that's the case, you might still be wondering, okay, what's in all this for us? Is there anything in this for us? But here's the beautiful thing, that by God's design, as we enter into this gathering, the church, that's focused on exalting God, we actually find true fulfillment. I think this is a reflection of what Jesus said, that he who loses his life finds it. As you give your life over to following Christ and exalting God, you find life to the fullest in the new birth. The irony, though, is that if you approach church for the primary purpose of personal fulfillment, you won't find it. If your focus is purely self, you'll be continually frustrated. I think those people are some of the most disgruntled people in the church, and they usually leave anyway. But you have to see in the church the picture of heaven, because that's what it is. 
Did you know? Today, the church is an imperfect yet real picture of what's in store for God's people. Because when Christ returns in the kingdom, what's it going to be like? It's all the redeemed together as one body, one assembly, centered on enjoying and worshiping God and the Lamb. If that's something you want, which I take it you do if you know Christ, then find a church where you can get a taste of that now, a taste of the joy that the Lord has in store for the body and the bride, the church of Christ. Let's pray. Our great God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we we do exalt you this morning. This is the purpose for which you made the world, the purpose for which you made us, the purpose for which you made the church and redeemed us and called us with this high calling, that we might know you and glorify you. Lord, you are supreme, and the greatest gift you can give to us is simply yourself. What else is greater? What is more worthy than yourself? And you have done so, especially through Christ your Son and our redemption, that we might know you and be reconciled to fellowship with you. And God, this amazing thing, as you redeemed us and reconciled us to yourself, you also chose to reconcile us to one another, to join us to others who are so different. Yet, Lord, you are so supremely glorified when we come together as one body, one church, knit together simply by the gospel, the good news of Christ, that we are all lost, condemned sinners, unclean, yet made new by faith in in that finished work on the cross, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ for our forgiveness. We thank you for this gospel, for our reconciliation. And I pray now, Lord, we live it out. The church, we have a purpose to praise you, and and we do that so often by edifying one another and evangelizing the lost. Let the world see our love for one another, that they might see you, that you're you're real, that you are there, you are true, and, and you redeem. Bless this local church. We are far from perfect. We have many gaps. I pray all these here will serve to fill the gaps that we seek to grow, and just keep us faithful, Lord. Give us a solid foundation and may we continually be humble and faithful to the purpose for which you've called us. And I pray any looking for that, uh, any, any of uh, others looking or when they move away looking for another church, you, you guide them toward what matters, that foundation. We thank you for this time. We want to continue to worship you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.